<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. I used to do it when I was in bed and everyone was asleep. He'd crawl in and I used to lie there. He made a black eye on me and punched my eye so bad one time. Wherever I went, I had no, no escape. There was no safety anywhere. Welcome to Stand Up Speak Up, a Canadian-made podcast highlighting important social issues and giving a voice to remarkable people. Looking at today's guest, you'd never say she has five kids from four different fathers or that she was abused as a child. To remain anonymous, she goes by Rose or Rosie. Rose is an artist with designs in the Stand Up Speak Up apparel store. Growing up, Rose faced physical, mental, and sexual abuse. She had nowhere to turn and was failed by everybody who should have helped her. Although Rose has a design in our store, we didn't know much about her until recently, and after learning about her story, Carla knew it needed to be shared on the podcast. Rose's mother suffered from mental health issues and was around 18 years old when she gave birth. From there, Rose and her brother were in for a terribly sad, cruel, and abusive childhood. You and your brother would be locked in a room for for days, weeks, and they would give you some basic food, but sometimes you guys would be starving, you'd be freezing. There was no access to a bathroom. It was just a, a, a bucket. So what kind of world did your brother and you have to create, and how old were you when you first started to get locked away? Um, we were quite young. Um, we were locked away for pretty much a lot, but it would be when my stepdad came on the scene. So it was so young. Um, when things started to happen and, and that we were being more isolated into the bedrooms or stood in a corner or, you know, and that we were so much, yeah, locked away. Did you having to be kind of locked away go on for years and were you only let out to go to school? No, we were, um, the authorities knew us, obviously, like the doctors, the dentists and the school. Um, obviously, we were the places you have to attend, you know, because we're registered down there. We have to attend there. But it was all very much unknown to the outside world, you know, like people in the street or, you know, they weren't, they didn't know what was going on behind closed doors. But I suppose like people at the school, for instance, would assume that we were normal. Um, but actually it was, it was very, very different. Were you dressed um, in normal clothes or were you given more thrift type clothes? How, how were you dressed? Oh, we were dressed all what I, what I would deem to be absolutely awful clothes. Um, but, you know, I have to understand that things were very hard back in the day there, um, especially if, if, she was a, if she was a young mum herself and struggling um, financially. So I kind of understand it. But, um, yeah, we were dressed in like school clothes and um, normal raggy clothes. Really. We weren't dressed in like pretty clothes. And, and were you, um, did you bring lunch money to school or did you bring, like, what would your lunch consist of? Oh, God, we did have school, free school dinners, but there was, um, I think there must have been a period where, you know, that, that money would have stopped. So we would have gotten um, school dinners for a little while. And, oh, the school dinners, what, what was packed was Marmite 
sandwiches in a bread bag and I absolutely hate Marmite and she knew that. They both knew I hate, we both hated Marmite. So we would actually please the bread or the sandwiches to the birds um, and not actually eat anything at school. But because we'd pack, they'd pack up sandwiches, you see. So it, 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 it looked to everybody else like they were feeding us. Um, but they knew we used to hate Marmite, so they'd do it on purpose. Do you understand what I mean? Yes, yes. We used to throw it away and not have anything to eat. And when you were living in that, that bedroom with your brother for, for all those years, that room, was there physical abuse as well? I mean, would, would your mom come in and physically uh, physically abuse you? Yeah, yeah. Very, very much so. Um, he would, as well as a stepdad, he would come in and do it. Um, and, and he made a black eye on me and punched my eye so bad one time. Um, she would come in and she used to, she'd smack me across my face so hard it, it knocked a tooth out flying across the room. And um, they would throw drawers, they would just poke. And oh, it's hot. It, there was one time I'd scratch. Well, where we'd have to lay in bed all day, like at weekends or summertime or what have you, I used to scratch in the ducks that were on this wall, um, and obviously it would then peel off. And I was called upstairs one time for eating my dinner, and I knew I just knew something was. Oh, I was like, "What's going to happen now?" And I was a bit dubious and cautious about going up the stairs, you know. And my brother crossed, and he like looked at me, and I looked at him. And um, I called into the room and was like, what's that? And told us because I was scratching in the wall and scratched off a duck. And um, I was actually put over her knee. And she'd had a moccasin slip up, as you know, the hardest, the, the base of those is very hard. And she had smacked me across my backside so many times with this moccasin slipper that my actual backside had turned black and blue and I could not physically sit down for a week on it. I couldn't sit down. It was so painful. How old would you have been at that? Very hard to put a name to it, but I, on a guesstimate level, it was probably been about six or seven years old. And what did your brother Very do small. when he's seeing your mother act crazy? There is nothing that you can do when you're young. You can only hear it and block it. Yeah. Um, and cry, you know, you feel sorry, and, and you, but you're helpless. You, you can't do anything when you're small. You know, you just have to... Did you find out different ways that would have her stop? I mean, if you cried, would she stop? If you were silent? What- no, it got worse. If, if you cried louder, that's why when I was when I was crying and, and really trying to hold my hands against my backside to back it, that's why I was just like, no, move your hands. And then I got more and more and more and I'm screaming, absolutely screaming. And the, and the neighbours would have heard things, but I think the neighbours wouldn't have gotten involved um, in the day of space, not to cause any animosity. And we did have a little old lady, I remember a little old lady, and her name was called uh, Nanny Leslie, we all called her. And, um, you know, there were times when I'd be crying because she'd bloody slap me across the ear, or, you know, it's been horrible, and kids crying is an expression. You could stand outside in the snow and be like, stand out there in your nighty until you've stopped your crying, and I'd be so cold. And I just wanted someone to hear me, so I'd scream louder. And this old lady would come out with warm potatoes that she was roasting. She'd be like, come over here and just grab a potato. 
and she used to watch from her window and I suppose because she was elderly she felt that the only way she could help was by like you know just coming out and giving me comfort with her lovely warm part baked potatoes you know so it's kind of like it's so difficult isn't it when people do get involved with things like that because it can cause I suppose that they didn't want to get wrapped up in drama so if if another adult got involved do you feel like your your mom and stepfather would have gone after that person would have um there was there were adults that actually used to get involved in the abuse um, there was um, I mean we grew up on a I say grew up more dragged up on a council estate so everybody seemed to be the same you know, in my eyes you know um, there were adults that had remember this woman and she had a disabled child in a wheelchair and my mother was friendly, friendly with, this, with this lady and used to take us over there um, and this woman had strapped my brother down in a chair and was force-feeding him this um, food, which was liquidized baby food type stuff. It wasn't like it didn't smell nice. And, and force-feeding this down the back of his throat while my mother held his hand down and his head back. And that, that's the kind of behaviours that we were exposed to from not just our parents, but it seems that everywhere we went, there was this kind of behaviour from everybody. So if they weren't participating in it, it was like they were fearful to do anything about it because there were so many people. So to do, I don't know, that's just how I viewed it from, from being younger and that, I guess that's why nobody would have got involved if there's so many people that just ganged up, you know? And well, would your, would your stepfather have friends come over that would also be involved in the abuse? I mean, did they have friends that were saddest like they were? I mean, people that like to inflict pain? Um, I just remember this one woman in particular, this friend. I don't really know if I'm completely honest with you. I know that um, even growing up into like a teenager, you know, my my mum seemed to have friended um, males that were particular, that, that were they were abusive um, in secret so I was actually abused not sexually just by my stepdad but I was abused sexually by other males who were friends of the family so to speak and did um, your did, did anyone know did your stepfather no I didn't say no I didn't say anything to anybody whatsoever your stepfather also abused you though is that correct yeah, yeah. And do you think that he knew that other family members or friends of his were also abusing you? No. No, they weren't friends of his as such. They're more friends of like my mother my mother's. So she um she made friends um at work, for instance, and who I became friends with her his daughter. Um, and so I used to go around and see his daughter in the in the way of escape when I started growing into uh, you know, a bit of more of a, just before getting into teenage, before I went into care. And I can't quite remember how old this would have been, probably about nine, maybe ten. Um, and this man then started to abuse me. So I feel that she was unaware of it. Um, and I was unaware, I couldn't sense that type of thing off of him until these things happened. And But I never knew what 
where to go because it was like everywhere that I went, when I went to school, I was highly bullied. I was spat at. I was called names. Um, when I went around friends, you know, the dad used to abuse me. Um, and it was like wherever I went, wherever I went, I had no, no escape. There was no safety anywhere. So it was kind of like, what do I do with this? Were you scared to tell your brother because it might upset him too much? Yeah, my brother, I felt taken took on enough, and I and I used to think that you know if this, if I said anything to my brother, he would probably try and persuade me to tell other people. And my fear was was that I don't know what my it was. It, I don't know what the fear was, but I suppose you know that my it was probably really traumatised my brother for one thing, you know, because he would feel like I'm a fucking god, and then you know he could go and try and beat somebody up. You know, when, it, when he got into his male years or they go to the police and then, you know, my fear was, I suppose, not being believed. I don't know what the actual, the hugest fear, I have no idea what the biggest fear was and I suppose it's because they're males and they had control and at any point, you know, they're, they're stronger. I deemed them to be stronger and anything could happen. I don't know what it was. It's so strange. With your stepdad, so how old were you when he started to sexually abuse you? I was so very young. Um, and I, I believe that the age is, is, is around about three years old. Um, I was very, very young. Very, very, very and young. How, how did he do um, it without your brother or your mother or other people seeing this happen? He used to do it when I was in bed and everyone was asleep. He would crawl in and, uh, just, you know, do, and I used to lay there. At night, you know, the, crack, the cracks in the doors and the hallway light, and I used to see the shadow, and I used to pretend I was asleep. And would, you, would your brother know he had gone into your room? And No, I don't think so, no. Um, but it was all very, and, and there would be things like he would say, oh, I'm just, I've got to go and do some decorating, I'll take her with me. And I used to fucking dread it. I used to dread it. Excuse me, that yeah, the house he would go into to decorate and would be empty, and people wouldn't be in there, so he could abuse and do anything. You know, Anne would take, and who's my mother, so she would um, say, go out shopping on a Saturday morning, um, and he'd say, I'll take all the kids with you. Um, and then he would obviously do things then when she, when she wasn't there. Um, it, I'm, I'm surprised to be what, fair. What do you think that she would have got caught? Back. What do you think she would have done if she found out? I I know what she thinks of it now, um, and she, she's very, very... It's hard to say what she'd have done in person here. Um, I think at one time I was going to actually blurt it out, and then something said, don't fucking dare, just just hold it in, because it just caused riots. But I think that she would have suggested possibly that I was making it up. Yeah. And so, I, you know, um, I don't think that she would have believed me. He's your kind of just hanging hanging out and you're like his kind of his daughter not his daughter but whatever and the abuse is happening yeah. and you're just having to pretend like nothing none of it's happening or just yeah i think that there was no signs or signals anyway because um you know i lived in silence i didn't say hello goodbye no, nothing and um, so there was there was no signs that they would be looking for because you know that with being abused in, in all different ways. You know, you, you kind of shut off anyway, don't you? Yeah. Um, but it, it was, it, when I was younger, I, I had to just think of the story, you know, the fairy tale when things were happening. I just used to think of something in my head. 
everybody that should have been helping you was abusing you. Yeah. Even so, even like, sorry to say, but even like social services, there were, I had no confidence with them at all either. I mean, they were called up on, on a number of occasions by a school who had raised concerns about black eyes um, and they'd actually stripped me in front of the office, stripped me completely naked in front of my headmaster and the teachers and, you know, and um, found all these bruises and I told them where I got the black eye from um, and... They then took me home, and I think I've explained this in the other interview, that actually at the end of that, when I was put in front of my parents, um, and they said, so what happened? And they, you, you think, oh my fucking God, they've just put me in front of these people. I'm scared, I'm worried. Um, and they were like, did he do the black eye? And I'm thinking, you have got no fucking idea that now if I admit to this, what is going to happen when you leave? So I then had to lie. And at the same time, you're kind of like looking at them with those eyes as though to say, it's not fucking true, help me. Um, and so they just left. They left it, got out and left, didn't come back. So I had absolutely no faith in teachers. Social I had no faith that anybody would ever save us. I mean, I, okay. I hope... I hope that teachers are a lot more educated now. You know? But the thing is... I, I hope so. But it wasn't that long ago. Like, when you're talking and you're telling your story, it's so easy for me to think it was 50 years ago this happened. This wasn't that long ago. No. No, it's actually... Um, I think... I mean, I was out of the care system when I was 16, and even still then I was being abused, even when I left care. I was still being abused sexually. So it wasn't until actually I made the break and, and got out of the town through drinking. Actually, I did I did turn to drink, and I have at, at times turned to drugs as well. Um, I have had that, you know, going around and actually um, sleeping with other men um, because where I was abused. It would be a miracle if you didn't turn to drinking and drugs. I mean, that would be a miracle because I don't know how anybody could deal even make sense of that in a rational brain. It's, it's, that's exactly how the world, the world has been. Um, and like I said, the only person I ever trusted, and I, and I didn't even want to tell my brother, I didn't ever tell him the extent of how things went. Um, but I, I didn't want to tell him. I, I, I didn't because I think that he would have, it, I think it would have traumatised his mind. And with your, your friend's father, do you think he also... Um, abused his own daughter. I've got no idea. I, you, you, you don't know. In those, I, I maybe not his own daughter. Possibly other children, other girls. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've got no idea, and I, I don't want to say. But I feel that these people sense the vulnerability. They're yeah. aware of the family situation, and they sense that vulnerability, and they just know how to lure a young person in and bribe them and get them scared and. And that's how things were. Um, you know, and, and because you are scared and you're thinking, fucking hell, you know, if I say anything, you know, yeah. they, they get into your mind. They And, you know, to, for someone who hasn't been through it, they, they think it was the easiest thing to do, just go and tell the police. No, actually, it's I not. Know, of Even not. in my older years, when they've said, go and tell the police, and I've been, fuck that, no. No, 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 I'm not going to go and tell the police. Not just for myself, but also for my other siblings. Because, you know, the the, the man that abused me 
Um, you know, the, the stepdad, he abused me. He's He's got five of his own children who were my siblings. Not We weren't all sort of overly close. Did he abuse his own kids? No, no, I don't believe that. No. Did, did they see the abuse going on? Did they see how you were treated Mm-mm. in the house? Um, they saw that I was, they were very young. So a lot of them don't have that memory. Um, but my little sister, um, I had a little sister, I think she must have been about two or three um, when all this stuff was going on. But I used to ask her to come, she used to come up the stairs and I used to say, go down in the bins and get me some food because we were hungry. And she can't remember doing any of that. So we'd go, you know, I'd have to go and get, try and get my little sister to go and get some food out of the bin for me to eat. I had to get me some food. And she'd sneak down, you know. She used to always come upstairs and come and sit in the bedroom and have a talk. But then as soon as she was found in there, I'd like, get out. And then she was sent downstairs. Um, you know. Did you dream of Prince Charming coming? I mean, did you read fairy tales and think, like, if only a man could come and take me away from all this? And Yes. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it. If 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 we didn't put our minds, and I say we, because it was my brother who filled my imagination. He he had the most fantastic imagination ever, um, and I grew up with that imagination as well. In thinking, right, I'm gonna there's a there's a prince a Cinderella story. It's exactly how I would describe my fairy tale: a Cinderella story, or Rapunzel locked in the tower. You know, that's that's exactly it. And you dream of this man coming along on a white horse and he saves you and you put your hair down and then, you know, climbs up and I used to imagine all of those. Um, and there was one time, and I've actually written a piece about this, looking out of a window. We used to live opposite a pleasure beach and I used to look out of this little window and I used to see the seagulls flying above. And I used to, I, this is the time I prayed actually and I was speaking with God in my mind because you know, the only thing you can do to keep sanity and I said please get, get me out of here I wish I was as free as that bird what it would be like just to fly and be free um, and I used to think things about how what if I was a bird what would I do where would I go um, you know it, it, you have to put your mind into that place because if you didn't you would go completely mad. So thank God for fairy tales, is what I say. Absolutely thank God for fairy tales. And they do actually, when I when I watch fairy tales and I watch things like Rapunzel, they do bring a lot back. They do. And I think that is how I lived, like a fairy tale. Only the, the ending is still as yet to come. But, um, you know, it's a fairy tale. You know, the, the wicked stepdad and the, the wicked mum and being locked away and you know, made to do all these different things like scrub our clothes. You know, we had to wash our clothes. Me and my brother, we had to scrub our clothes with a bar of soap while everyone else was going through the washing machine. We would have to stand and wash our clothes with our bare hands in a, in a bathroom sink with a bar of soap. Then we'd have to hang them out and dry them and bring them back in. You know, we had to make our own dinners. We didn't know how to use a cooker. We had to have bread and butter. That's the only thing we could do bread and butter we weren't allowed cereals we weren't allowed milk we wasn't allowed any squash it was just water if we was allowed that at all and I remember doing things like where we was denied water sitting in a cup and building up that spit so that when there was a day that I was really thirsty I could drink my spit rather than my piss that was like the predicament you know sometimes we ended up in and actually they found it one time under my bed and called me a filthy cow for saving up this bit in a cup and then they made me drink it and it's like three weeks old they made me drink that saliva back down my mouth it was the most vile thing ever 
they have like an evil sickness to them. I mean, that is, that's evil. What they're doing is pure evil, like, like the stepmother in Cinderella and the witch in Hansel and Gretel. And I can't even imagine trying to even understand how that could give them pleasure. And, and it must have given them, them pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like. Was your mom jealous of you? I mean, was your mom also quite beautiful? I mean, was she jealous of your looks? And I don't know, but she I, she cut my hair off um, when I was at school. Because it was, it was lovely. It was long and it was lovely at one point. Um, and just as I was going into middle school, she cut all my hair like a boy. So that's why I was bullied a lot. And I think she was aware of that. And she didn't want me getting any kind of attention, maybe. And so she cut my hair off, bright short, like a boy, and dressed me in rags. And she'd done it again. When my hair grew longer again, it was lovely. And I used to put it up nicely. And I was so grateful to have long hair. And because I had then gone to a friend and confided yet again in this friend, and they'd called up social services, and yet again, the same thing happened. They walked away. Because I'd gone out and opened up my mouth and told somebody, off came my hair again. It, she just cut it all off worse. Um, and she said, I'm going to cut your hair. You know, you went, you went and told these people, I'm going to cut your hair, and she cut my hair again. So I think that there was, she, I don't know whether she was jealous or whether she was just so deeply disturbed that she wanted to give somebody or try and inflict pain that she had had when she was younger onto us. At the age of 11, Rose was thrown out by her mother. For the next five years, she'd spend time in multiple foster homes, moving around as some were only temporary or others were abusive. At the age of 16, she was free from foster care but was no better off and had nowhere safe or clean to live. She had also begun seeking the love and attention she craved from men. When you became of age and turned into a woman, were you really even more scared? Did you like, oh, now I'm going to even be more like a woman? And, and did you try to hide under your clothes? Like, how did you, did you embrace your, your womanhood? No, I actually, um, I used to cover up. I never wore short skirts or anything, actually, until I was about 20 seven years old I think I went out in a sh- short skirt which was just above my knees um, I never exposed myself so I'd wear jeans I'd actually be what I'd call like a tomboy kind of look or a raggy look you know I'd, because I didn't want people looking at me so I should dress up quite did boys give you extra attention in high school did they find you no, pretty no they hated me I was, I was bullied no I was very bullied extremely bullied you said before that you had gone through years of being promiscuous which is very common when people have been abused the other yeah. Usually become yeah. one extreme or the other. So where would you meet these men? I was actually drinking down the pubs underage. Um, and because when I, my stepdad would come in and abuse me, um, or, you know, I've been abused, I would go down a pub and I would just drink. Um, and I would drink myself so stupid to take anybody home just to get him off me. So I didn't care who it was. I didn't care what the fuck they looked like. I'd drunken so much, I'd gone past caring. And when you when you brought them home, what did your mom and stepdad and your brother say? I used to do it, you know, because I was underage and I was actually in foster care um, some of these times. So I would actually be, sometimes I'd even go to like public toilets um, or just do it on a beach or, you know, I was very, I, very, I was very degraded 
um, by doing what I, I degraded myself, but in the thinking that I would feel more upgraded by the degrade that I had from my stepfather. It, I know, it, I know, it's all completely fucked in the head, but that's just how it was with myself. Um, it, do, it doesn't sound I, it doesn't sound that messed up to be honest i mean like that is so much i don't know so much emotion there that you you just had sex with other guys to push the emotions down like you just yeah. it was a survival technique yeah. right i mean it's not yeah yeah i mean you're yeah, like you're trying to be you're just really resilient you're thinking how do i how do because was that the negative and the shame so overwhelming that you just needed something just a quick interjection i'm zach tolstoy one of the founders of stand up speak up our podcast is just one part of the stand up speak up brand we are supported by an online store of the same name where we sell a variety of artisan products we have an ongoing blog series with over a dozen contributors and we offer a series of interactive workshops throughout the different iterations of stand up speak up our core message and purpose have always been the same. To create a site that allows our customers and us more opportunities to speak up about and support causes, organizations, and groups that we're passionate about and that of course could use additional support. My mother and I have learned about allyship over the years from what feels like a thousand and one places and people. We want to encourage members of this fantastic Stand Up Speak Up community to come along and learn with us. So along with our team, we created this workshop featuring videos, articles, and exercises that have really helped the two of us in our own journey towards allyship. Don't worry, it doesn't cost any money, and you don't need to make an account to access the information. We want to make our workshop as accessible as possible because we believe in our message and understand the importance of spreading awareness. The Ally Workshop is split into eight parts, including interactive quizzes and helpful videos. It's intended to introduce you to new skills and courses of action in the world of allyship. The workshop is easy to use and can be done entirely on your cell phone, tablet, or computer at your own pace, with each of the eight sections taking an average of about 15 minutes or so to complete, or a breezy couple hours on a Sunday afternoon. And it's very hard to explain it, but I guess in some respects I was looking for somebody to value my body. Mm-hmm. I just went the wrong ways. I went the wrong ways about it, but I felt more valued than being abused because it was I'd put myself into that situation okay. where I felt yes. I was in control Troll. who was touching me. Yeah. Were some of those men also abusive? Uh, yeah, I had, I had relationships. Yeah, where they were abusive. Um or that they'd had a past I was unaware of and, until further on down the line. Um, you know, they, the, the men who are, I see just as like, you know, just the one-nighters, you know, I see them and they go, bye, see you later, no attachments. The relationships, you know, I've kind of been out with somebody who was um, a severe cocaine addict and he ended up beating me. How old were you when you had your first child? I was 18. Okay. Uh, so pregnant at 17 um, and at 18. And yeah, was that someone pregnant. you fell in love with or? Um, it wasn't someone who I fell in love with. Uh, my first my first two children were with somebody who saved my life unknowingly. Um, I went with him because it was kind of, I wanted to get away from the abuse 
from the abuser. And I ended up coming to this town where I'm at now, meeting up with this man. And only because he was older than myself as well, and I needed that. I felt I needed to go with the older man to feel protected. And this is where I'm saying that I've gone through situations in my life where I can relate back to my mother and why she would have done things. But I felt protected by this older man, um, 10 years older than myself. Um, but it was very funny. And, and you know, um, he, he had a few drinking issues himself, but... Um, he wasn't wasn't abusive, just more verbally when he was drunk, but he wasn't, you know, he used to look after me really quite well. The only problem was is that I didn't I didn't love this man. I purely kind of went with him because I, I, I needed saving. Um, and I felt that he could save me, although he didn't know, he, and he still doesn't know exactly what he saved me from. Are you still friends with him? I mean, do you still... Yeah, we had, we did have um, a dispute because, you know, one day I just woke up and I, I said to him, I, I can't be with you, I don't want to be with you anymore. Um, and I just, you know, I I up and left. I had to leave the children with him because I didn't have no fixed abode. Um, and we actually went through a four-year court battle because I wanted my children back. Um, and, he, you know, had all the access to all the money so that left me and I didn't know any of this at the time but it left me in a position where I couldn't have my children because I had no fixed abode I had no money for them there's nothing anybody could do what did you do for a job like did you finish um high school or or any college I, I wanted to go on to further education but because obviously I was in the care system and I was then made independent at 16 and I was only living off £40 a week. How does somebody live off £40 a week? That's impossible, is it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I had to give up all of my education. I couldn't get into further education because I couldn't afford to get there, as well as run a home and try and clothe myself and everything else. The uh, flat became, or the house that I was in became, it was condemned. It was unfit for human cohabitation, um, which was why, you know, social, that was it. Social services threw me out, I didn't care. That was that, you know? Um, so I had to kind of make my, my own way. From your first husband with the two kids, then you met another guy. How did you meet up with him? I went away to Bournemouth for a few weeks. And I was then supposed to be like a holiday with, with this um, gentleman. I was supposed to be just sort of um, seeing how it went. There. So I called it a relationship, but it wasn't overly a relationship. I found a job at McDonald's and that he, he turned out to be quite abusive. Um, so I then had to leave there. That's where I then went to my children's dad, my older girl's dad. Um, and there wasn't, I, I couldn't get into a job. I just felt you know, I had no qualifications. Nobody would look at me. I couldn't afford to get into a college. I didn't know the ropes real world. I everything came at a standstill, and then I became pregnant. And I guess that's kind of where a job would have stepped in. Um, <clears throat> really, ideally, I wanted to go on to. I wanted to be an actress when I was younger, and I wanted to go to theatre school and be somebody because I felt acting was a very good way of expressing, and I could act very, very well. Um, but it was all it was all stopped. I couldn't go any further. So I had to obviously bring up my children. Did your brother know how bad things got? Um, he was very when he was in care. Um, we did get separated, and when he was in care, he seemed to get the better deal. So he was with very loving foster carers and, and stable and in the same home. And No, I don't think he did. And, and he, 
he began to get all the things that he wished for his children, his wife, and a career that he wanted, which was to go into the army. And, um, you know, his life started to build up. Whereas mine was just like, you know, I was shifted about from home to home to home. I was never loved, had no stability, no family, no, you know, it was all, I didn't have any of that. And I didn't want to put that onto, onto him either because I was very happy that he was being successful. At the same time, jealous. I'm not going to lie, when he married his wife, you know, I felt very jealous that this woman had come in and, and now she's become the most important woman of his life. And, you know, there's, there, there was a high jealousy there. Because I felt like someone was taking away the only thing I had. Um, but, you know, I don't think he did know to the extent, to be honest, of um, exactly uh, what was going on as we got older and, and a bit more distant in that respect. Stand Up, Speak Up will continue in a moment. How I met Rosie is actually through her artwork. She submitted her artwork for review for our store. And as soon as I saw her art piece, I fell in love with it. And I just wanted to know the story behind it. And when Rosie shared the inspiration behind her art piece, I just knew that we needed to tell her story. Her art piece is called Silent Years Shed Tears. It's on shirts in our store. And it's really about kind of her journey of facing her fears and facing the demons from her childhood. And it was actually going to be a book cover for her book of poetry and then decide instead to contribute that to us. And when you look at her art piece, which is also the cover of this podcast, you will really see inside Rosie's heart, which makes it so powerful. I mean, the pain of her abuse is reflected right in her artwork, along with her feelings and emotions. And as soon as I saw this art piece, it sent a chill through me. There's just so many emotions. So I really highly recommend go visit the store, support Rosie with her her artwork. Please check out our store, www.standupspeakupapparel. We always put it in the show notes because without the store, we wouldn't be able to have this amazing podcast. So thank you for all of you that support the store and support the artists that contribute. We now continue with Rosa's story on Stand Up, Speak Up, as she reflects on her brother, who passed away, explains why she doesn't feel her life is a sad story, and now continues telling us about the fathers of the rest of her five children. Okay, you have five kids, so two are from the older guy. The third is from... They've all got different dads. The third one is from, um, like I told is from a, another male who was older that... Um, you know, I was going through a court case and things and, and met up with him and things did progress into a relationship and then a child, obviously. But through all of this, if I can, this is awful, I hate talking about this story. Um, this particular gentleman, little to my knowledge, I know until I was six months pregnant and in a court case and had cast cast and everybody else involved, I found out through investigations of the court case that this man was somebody who had injured children that he had as babies. He had shook them up and, and damaged their fingers. And I don't know. It's very sick. I can't talk about that. Sorry. Yes. Um, no, no I, I understand. He had to get, he had to get out. Um, he couldn't have anything to do, <clears throat> to do with his child. Although I did try to fight it for my child. Um, 
and try to say that, you know, the, this child, despite what's gone on in his past, this child deserves, I think, to know his dad or to know her dad. And um, I, that's not, I felt a bit torn with them situations because it was like what you're trying to do best for your child and then what you're trying to also do best for yourself at the same time. It's a very difficult situation to be in. Yes, I um, can and when you've got social services who are saying, look, you know, this happened X amount of years ago, um, but you've got to think of your child. And I'm like, do I allow this person in my child? Do I allow that? It's a very torn, torn situation. So I did try to fight that contact happen with my child. However, he, he disappeared. I couldn't be in a relationship with him anymore myself. I couldn't stand him. He actually made me feel sick and it still does thinking about that. So the fourth child is from a relationship that I was very, very in love with. Person I was very in love with, yeah. So he, this next one was kind of what you consider the love of your life that you had. Did you have baby yeah. four and five with him? No, just um, four. One, two, yeah. And, baby, yeah. and you fell in love. Yeah. And what was it about him that you just... Well, we both grew up. Actually, we both grew up together. We went to school together. We used to, um, you know, um, talk with each other at school, and he used to mix with my other siblings. And he was also himself going through childhood trauma. So we had an element of, you know, being able to talk with each other and communicate and understand each other as children. Um, and then obviously, I've moved. And moved that down, uh, moved out of the way of that town. Um, and it was actually after I lost my brother. That's when I then moved back to where my love was. Okay. Um, I moved back there. Um, three different reasons, thinking that I would find my brother there somewhere. That's really weird. I know that that's how, then that's kind of how, how I met back up with him. So he had his, also his own demons to deal with. So he was struggling yeah. Yeah. With, with abuse in his upbringing as well. So it united you. But it also, I guess, it was, I mean, it's hard to deal with somebody else's issues as well. Yes, it was very, because we were both young as well, um, it was very, very difficult to, um, because I was actually going through the breakdown at this point unknowingly. Um, but it, so you can imagine it's very difficult for us to have been able to really come together properly because he was drinking, I was drinking. So the relationship between us as a going out relationship and being in love relationship is very difficult and very challenging. And actually there was domestic violence in that relationship as well. And um, he wasn't very settled or grounded. He would come and go and come and go and he would um, eventually later on down the line. And then your next relationship, your fifth child, right? Yeah. That was with somebody who was... um, I suppose it was kind of, although I've been a couple of years away from my love, um, getting over that, I kind of guess it was kind of with my my baby boy's dad. It was more like kind of a rebound and me trying to discover my strengths at that point um, in an unknowing process, I suppose. But he wasn't a very nice man either. He's very manipulative very sneaky and sly and quite fiery. Um, and he was quite angry. He was an angry person towards anybody, not, not just myself, but anybody's quite angry. And, and then towards my children. Um, and it was from then I was just like, I get out. And I completely sort of ended. I ended that relationship 
I don't know. I just found it so fascinating and inspiring and sad. And there were so many emotions through the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very deep story and it's not one that is often, um, that, you know, I haven't shared it out with, um, like crowds of people. It would be select couple of people that I would have shared that with. It would be just very traumatizing. And I think that some people can listen to it, but, I, I feel that some people would feel that it's um, something that they need to fix and take it on. So there's, you know, I, you don't need people like that. You want somebody who will listen to it and think, fucking hell, you know, this woman's been through some shit, but oh my God, look where she's doing. And if she can do that and and be this person, it's like I, I want to be a shining example of the, you know, you can have the shittest time in life you can actually be in the gutter but and the success of it is standing up and still you know having the the courage and the strength and the love still to still have love in your heart to carry on there's so many people that have no reason to get out of bed and and my heart breaks for them because i've experienced deep depression before and it's horrible it's debilitating it is the worst darkness and I don't think people that don't have that have no idea what it feels like. It feels so hopeless. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that completely. When it's just, you can't, it, it, there's no point in facing the world. It's because they're, they're, they've allowed the darkness. And I've been guilty of it myself. You just allow the darkness con- to consume you. But then I feel, because I'm quite spiritual, I'm very, very highly spiritual. Um, and, you know, I've been lucky, I was very lucky in my younger years to have that brother who was able to, I could look up to him um, and he was my light. Um, because I used to think if he can do it, so can I. You two have such a strong bond I could hear it in your voice with Chris and how you talked about him and how um, important he was because I think what's so interesting is that you grew up in both in a very abused environment where the two of you almost had to be each other's friends parents siblings like you had to be all roles to each other yeah this is it yeah so we were very lucky in the respects of that we had each other so obviously naturally it was the case that I'd always you know, he was my strength to call me through. And I, I admire him every day because when you become an adult and you look back and you think, oh my goodness, Nina, where did this boy go to lean on? He had nobody to kind of lean on, um, you know, as a child. But then you think, I used to lean on him and I looked up to him and, and it was it was through his courage, you know, and then he became a soldier himself for the world and, and he used to take on the take on the battles of the world on his shoulders and he would never grumble, moan, he'd never complain about anything, he used to pull off jokes and we're, you know, we are quite humorous people anyway because it's the only way to get through sometimes, you just have to make a joke out of it. But we would be humorous together, obviously naturally when I, when I lost my brother, um, it was like I'd lost everybody, everything in one. Um, and I've now um, coming out, you know, only before Christmas actually. It's really strange because I lost my mother died um, before Christmas. My my nan passed away as well before Christmas. 
And um, it seemed that when them two had passed away, not that my nan was any bad influence, my nan was a very positive influence, but um, no, when my mother passed, it seemed that a lot of things then started coming into play. So like I'd met my real dad just before Christmas, like a couple of months ago after my mother had passed away. Um, he was he's a bit of a dick, so I'm not even going to talk about him as a waste of my breath. But I, I met a man that, I wanted to meet, you know, just to see who the other half of it was. And then I met a brother, another brother, who I had absolutely no idea about um, just before Christmas as well. So there's like a brother that I'd lost who I grew up with and, you know, for, from a child. And now there's there's another brother that I've just been reunited with um, that I can grow old with. Um, and I hope to be the same kind of inspiration for him as what my brother was for me. You know, that's so that's so inspiring and gives such purpose. You know, I mean, it, uh, I'm so honored when I get the chance to help people tell their story because I feel like storytelling is one of the the most healing things out there. I mean, like people hearing other people's stories, I don't think there's anything more powerful than that. There's no medicine. There's no greater than hearing a story and hearing someone that was able to push through so much sadness. Because I say sadness for your story because I think it's filled with so much sadness. Yeah, it was as a child, it was very, it was the saddest parts of my life. And obviously growing into an adult, um, you know, when you, because I was in the care system and things like that, you know, and then, so when you get dumped into the big wide world and you're just like, all of a sudden, what what do I do with this? Because I've been so used to one way of things, you know, and um, I've been thrown in and, and having that social anxiety and am I talking to people okay? Am I connecting with people? And you're constantly worried and you're you're constantly, um, you know, got your guards up and or you let them down or you try and fix other people and then, you you know, there's so many life lessons that, you know, you learn. Um, I can't even remember what we were saying. Um, but yeah, sadness and things like that. But I don't look at it like it's a sadness um, now that I'm in my 30s, <laughs> um, you're still I so young. Yeah, it is young, but it's also with, and um, that's what I'm saying to you. It's still, it's you. I've kind of hit a point where I think there is no point in keep looking at this as a sadness. I have to look at this like I am no victim to anybody. I am a survivor, and I feel blessed. And like I wrote on the statement that actually. Um, where people see success as being in very high jobs and earning millions of pounds with the fancy little Ferrari and then multi-million pound mansion house with their little puggy dogs and everything, that's how people see success. Now, myself... I look at I look at my life and anybody who is I high up with the mansion and the cars and the dogs can look down at me all all they like. That I don't see them as successful because they've got material because it gives them challenges that people like us face. They'd never be able to deal with that and cope. So I feel that actually going through what I've gone through isn't a sad story. It's actually a very successful story because I'm standing here today and being able to tell my story. That to me is a success. Thanks for listening to Stand Up, Speak Up. 
You can find links to Rose's designs in the show notes for this episode or at StandUpSpeakUpApparel.com. Now, here's Carla with some final thoughts to close out this episode. The Rosie story is a really hard story for people to hear, and I can imagine the emotions as a listener that you went through. And I hope that nothing triggered anyone, because I cannot imagine what Rosie went through and her bravery and her courage to not only share it with us, but to to be a survivor and to celebrate her as a survivor. You know, and I said this to, to Rosie is that I don't know if any of you have ever read the book by V.C. Andrews on Flowers in the Attic, but it really reminded me of that story. Flowers in the Attic is about kids, four kids, whose mom puts them in an attic so that her new husband, their stepfather, doesn't know she has any children. And they are stuck in the attic and only given limited food, never see sunlight. What's a little bit different from Rosie's story, obviously, is that the two elder children fall in love and they raise the kids as their own when they eventually get to escape. But I think what's similar is that Rosie and her brother were so dependent on one another. And I I, I don't think, and I think Rosie would agree with me, is that they couldn't have survived without each other. And the way she talks about her brother is that he was a lifeline. He was her best friend. And I think what hit me even harder is when I heard that he had passed away, you know, while he was in the army. And, and I just feel the whole thing is just, I don't know, like too much for any person. And, and, when her brother passed away, that was when she had her, her breakdown. And, and it's surprising that she can have pushed through that. I mean, Rosie's a really interesting person. She's also a tarot card reader and um, has a really strong intuition. So she kind of works as a medium and, and she really tries to get in touch with people's auras. And, and, and I think she does this. And, and I, I do find that a lot of the guests or a lot of the stories I hear are people that have gone through rough experiences, really want to help people. And I think that Rosie uses her, her talent and uses her skill, or I don't know what it's called, her intuition to help others and to bring joy to other people and to look always for the silver lining. And that if somebody's feeling really down, she can bring them out to bring them joy and happiness. And, and she is extremely kind. And she has a Facebook that is tarot card reading. And she's, we have a Facebook page, Stand Up, Speak Up. And she is such a great supporter in that group. And she's very, I mean, I just really want to do a shout out to our group because there's so many people there that just are so amazing and inspiring and, and powerful. And I look at like Mary, I look at Rosie, I look at Bo, I look at Rob, I look at Linda, I look at Devin, I look at Erica. I mean, there's just so many. I look at Jill. Uh, there are just so many people that have been on our podcast and I've met along this incredible journey. I'm so thankful I've had. And to see them getting to know each other and to see what Chris does, who moderates the Facebook group, is, is amazing. Chris is just very inspiring himself and just so kind and good-hearted. And, and his girlfriend, Jody also is a great contributor. I'm just really proud of the Facebook group. And it really touches my, my heart to see all these amazing guests that 
I get to continue my relationship with and see how they're doing. And, and Rosie, I definitely feel a connection with. So if you're interested in getting to know the podcast guests on a deeper level, I recommend you go to our Facebook group. Let them know what you think of their story. And uh, I think that's about it. The Stand Up Speak Up podcast is made in Canada. Produced and hosted by Carla Stevens Tolstoy. Co-production, editing, and narration by Joel at East Coast Radio Creative. Copyright 2018. Find us online at standupspeakupapparel.com. If you have a moment, please leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to Stand Up Speak Up. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.